Well, we are continuing in our series through the book of Exodus, and um, we several weeks ago we talked about the Israelites going from slavery to freedom. But the last few weeks we've had to talk about the things that we all have to embrace in order to truly be free. There is like the actual setting free and that actual moment in time where you cross the Red Sea and the Israelites were free. And in our own life, uh, as it relates to our faith, that's that moment of time where we have experienced salvation and maybe that baptism moment where we say, God, I give my life to you and I'm set free of my sins and I'm on my way to eternal life with you. But there's things that will keep you enslaved or will keep you in the same place that you were before. And that's never God's intent. But it's a hard journey. And so two weeks ago, we talked about how we have to embrace grace in order to uh, move from slavery to freedom. We have to embrace the fact that God, only God can save us. We have to embrace the fact that it's only God that can do some things for us. And that's kind of a denial of our own self-reliance and trusting in God and being reliant on God. And the Israelites learned that lesson through um, having to trust in God for water and food and safety and those just basic necessities that they had to rely on God out on the de- out in the desert. Last week we talked about how we have to embrace community to be set free. If we are isolated and by ourselves and try to do live this life alone, we are not embracing what God calls us to. God calls us to community and to embrace community. And we talked about that story where Moses kind of had that moment where he said, I have to share the load and we all have to do this together and we work together in order to truly be the community of faith that God intends. And that's God's uh, will for us as well is that we don't isolate ourselves and try to just stay out on our own, but we embrace community. And today, there's another lesson that you have to embrace to move from slavery to freedom, and that is embracing discipline, and specifically embracing this idea of following God's moral standard, putting restraints in your life to say, I will trust in you, God, in this area of my life. And so we've been talking about freedom a lot throughout this series. And of course, um, as we celebrate the 4th of July, it's always interesting to me how people celebrate the 4th of July. It's, there is a segment of the population where it's like uh, this idea of I am free. We are free as a nation. So it is my opportunity for tonight to be reckless to set the neighborhood on fire, <laughs> like, like, like kind of do things that are absolutely destructive to self and community. That is how I celebrate my freedom. I'm free. And um, it, was, it was interesting. I saw that there was one of the professional athletes that a few years ago blew a couple of his fingers off in a fireworks experiment that put out a PSA and said, Hey, everybody, it's not very good to blow off your fingers. Be careful out there, okay? Be careful out there. And um, I went to a fireworks display myself, and we went out, and we were checking stuff out. We were waiting for the official display to start. And then all around us, you know, fireworks in Colorado are illegal, right? Um, People were expressing their freedom uh, to to, uh, go ahead and shoot off fire. And it's like, 
you know, houses and stuff like that. It's not like, you know, the little sparklers and stuff. I'm like, all right, do those little things. The little, little pop things you throw in the ground. Pop. Okay, that's fun. It's like people are out in front of their houses with like these giant cannons shooting them off. It's like, okay, this is uh, not going to end well. I think it's one of those things that we've decided, hey, if we all break the law, uh, <laughs> they can't do anything about it. Let's celebrate our freedom by being reckless. And um, that is sometimes how we view freedom. What a crazy notion of freedom. Freedom is not living a reckless life that will potentially destroy you and others or harm you and others. That is not freedom. That is stupidity, right? That's stupidity. And I'm not railing against you that maybe you bent the rules a little bit with the fire. Okay, that's, but to use it as an analogy, sometimes we look at our life and say, I'm free. And we just use that as an excuse to destroy ourselves. How foolish. How foolish. That is not freedom. And that is not God's concept of freedom. And that's, that, that, that is just kind of an immature, childish way to look at freedom. It's like the little kid that says, it's a free country. Okay, that it comes with some constraints, okay? But sometimes we get into this mentality of freedom is recklessness. I do what I want. Nobody tell me what to do. That's not it. And we need to, we need to talk about that. And the reality is, is there will, there will be things in life that keep you enslaved. Freedom is embracing the discipline and embracing the morality that God sets before us to keep us in a place where we are protected, safe, and living the fruitful life God intended for us to live. And so this is kind of how God approaches the Israelites. And this is kind of the foundational principles that really establish the nation of Israel, the foundational principles that have established, you know, human society as a whole is moral constraints and agreements on what is okay and what is not. And um, so let's read those portions of scripture today in Exodus chapter 19 and 20. So I'm going to start in Exodus 19 verses 1 through 8 where we kind of get the uh, uh, preview of what's to come. In the, uh, what's, what's coming in chapter 20 is the Ten Commandments. It says this. On the first day of the month, after, after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from, I don't know how to pronounce it, they entered the desert of Sinai, and the Israelites camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you'll be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of people and set before them all the words of the Lord the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. 
They were kind of lying there, but, but that was their commitment at that moment in time. We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. So this is kind of the conversation that starts it. It says, you know, I've done all these things for you. I have set you free. You are free. Now, if you follow me, if you trust me, if you obey me, you will have blessing beyond your comprehension. You will be a standout. You will be separated, a holy nation. You will have my blessing upon you, and it will be good for you. And this is the framework for which God always designs his moral code is for our safety, protection, and provision so that we will have the blessed life God intends for us. That's the point. And he says, this is what will happen, and it will be a picture to the rest of the world and the rest of the nations that this is, this is the way you should live. And so there is a unique, this is unique, a unique portion of scripture. It's different than some of the things that we'll talk about next week. There are kind of two categories, and I, I, I don't want you to misunderstand me, but there are two kind of categories for these moral things. Morality is complicated and difficult, and ethics are, are difficult. There's scenarios and situations that are challenging. For instance, when uh, you have a young child and you're playing near a street, you tell that child, don't go near the street. Don't go next to the street. It is not morally wrong to go on the street, but it is extremely dangerous based on their development at that stage to go near the street or next to the street or whatever because they could fall or anything like that. And so it is a moral imperative to that child at that point in time that they can't do that. And it's a right and wrong. And it's, 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 a, it's a command from an authority figure. That doesn't mean now and forever that that child cannot go on the street. It doesn't mean that that's off limits at a different time in their development. And there are things that we're going to talk about more next week that are in that category. And they're in the scripture that says, in this time and place, in this era, in this situation, I don't want you to eat this food. I don't want you to do this. I want you to be set apart. This is a moral code for this time and era in this particular time. And that, that is a category in scripture. And that is a category that sometimes we need to embrace. And there are times where it is not perfectly clear and simple. But this is not the category we're talking about today. There are another category where it's laws that are universal, that are applied, that go for now and forever. And the scripture does distinguish between the two. And that's why God kind of sets apart and particularly makes a big deal about the Ten Commandments. But even in the Old Testament, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of commandments. And so it's hard, and we have to have wisdom... But there are these different kind of categories, and we have to understand that as we approach these things. But as I read it, and I think it's pretty clear that these are different, that these are standards that are to be applied throughout time and history and are, you know, aren't to be changed. Okay, and, and you'll see these things, and you see throughout Scripture things that are reiterated over and over that Jesus reiterates or Jesus gives us more explanation on. Those are things that are universal over and over for time and place. And there's other things that aren't. Okay, But let's be clear is that it is important for us to, to have those things that are pillars in our moral life. 
And that's what God is establishing with the Ten Commandments. It's kind of pillar markers that we say, this is a line and this is set. Don't change it. You know, it's an interesting thing in our culture what, what has happened. Is in our culture right now, we've kind of come to a place where people are moral. I would say people are moral. But what it is is people have kind of a pick and choose moral code. Where it's, you know, I like these things. I don't like these things. And it's kind of a hodgepodge mixture of different teachings, different things that they've heard, different experiences that they've had, where they said, this is what I like and this is what I don't. It's interesting how generations ago, even, even when I started in ministry, it was a different conversation I had with people. It was more like, what does the Bible say about this? I remember having that conversation with people early on when I was um, a, a pastor. And the conversation has now shifted significantly and dramatically in our culture and time, where the conversation is kind of like, uh, you know what, I'm not, sh I'm not quite sure what I believe about that, or I don't know if I like that or not. It's more of a conversation about people's personal code and picking and choosing and deciding which ones fall in line with the scripture instead of saying, what does the scripture tell us? The scripture is sometimes difficult and nuanced and it takes some wisdom, like I said. But let's be clear, if we decide in our lives to go down the road of pick and choose morality, here's what you're doing. You're deciding that you are essentially God. That's, what, that's the decision you're making. There is no objective standard. There is no other, other factor that is giving you constraints in your life. You are making up all of your own constraints. You're drawing all of your own moral lines. And you're deciding, I am the 100% arbiter of right and wrong. You are saying, I am the deity. I am in charge morally like that. And that's a problem. Do you understand why that's a problem? That is a problem because we can so easily, just like the Israelites said, hey, we'll follow whatever you have to say. And then we can so easily, when it's convenient to fit our own objective or our own life, just decide to change and say, I'm going to do my own thing. And essentially what that does is create a place where there is no objective. There is no right and wrong. There is no standard. It is what you choose it to be. And that is the culture we're in right now. And that is a difficult, challenging thing that, Jesus, that God is giving to the people right in this moment is saying, will you trust me with the moral standards that I, I give you? Not the ones that you would like prefer. Will you trust me in that? And so that's the decision that's before us as well. Exodus 20 says this, And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That is number one. Number two, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them, worship them, for I the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for sin of the parents to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. 
You sh- number three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Number four, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male nor, or female servants, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. From the six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, made it holy. Number five, honor your father and mother, so you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. The next one, you shall not murder. Then you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female servants, his ox, his donkey, anything that belongs to your neighbor. Well, all of these take kind of some explanation and absolutely are in the category of truths that live on to our era today. But we need to absolutely apply them to the time and context we live in as well. But it's interesting how Jesus comes and frames these things and explains them even more and more in his life and in his teaching. Jesus sums it up into a clear little one-line statement that he gives us as the moral code for all things. That is the overriding principle that all of us need to remember and all of us need to know. And it really frames the whole Ten Commandments. Is love God, love your neighbor. Love God, love your neighbor. He said this is the code. This is the law. It sums up all of the law. And if you follow that, you will be fine. That's what the scripture says. And even uh, later in the New Testament, it talks about, hey, the fruits of the Spirit, like love, joy, peace, patience. If these things are emerging and growing in your life, uh, you are somebody that you don't even need to worry about rules or laws. Because you will be guided by these principles and these things will come naturally to you. Because uh, amongst these things, there is no law. Because your, your, your heart is pure and you're following God. And in many ways, rules and laws are for uh, the immature. You know that? Rules and laws are kind of the first step. Rules and laws are to get things in order. And rules and laws expand and expand when people do stupid things. Right? There's, you know, when you, when you start doing all kinds of different, if you build something in your house, if you like start to do anything in our culture, there's a law for everything. Why? Because somebody did something stupid at some point in time, and now we got to make a rule for it, right? And, and the reality is life would be much better and simpler if it was just like, guess what? Love God, love your neighbor. You're all set. That's it. Okay? But... We're human people, and we're fallen and mistaken, right? And so God has to continue to elaborate and give more and more detail to that. And, and hopefully, though, we move past being rule followers and be people who are becoming 
loving followers of God that love our neighbor. And when we see others, we have compassion and empathy and love and care for them and do things in other people's best interest and are following God because it's an outflow of who we are. That's the goal. But it, that takes some time, okay? Okay, but, but that's the reality is that rules are kind of what you do for kids, right? Rules are what you do for kids so they don't hurt themselves. But the goal is to move even further than that. But we need some of this. We do. We need the discipline. We need these boundaries. We need these directions in our life because we will go astray. Um, so let's look at these in the context of these two big categories that Jesus gives us. Love God, love neighbor. And the first four of the Ten Commandments fall under the broad heading of love God. And, and some of these in particular, you look at the rest of the list, it seems pretty straightforward and simple, but these ones to us seem a little bit foreign or don't seem like they should be included in a top 10 list, right? But understand that the code, the idea, is not just how I treat other people. The code is how I frame my life. And if you don't start with love God, if you don't start with my objective truth is to follow the creator of this universe, you will be led astray. And so there's four principles in the category of love God that frames our, the way that we think about and treat our relationship with God to make sure that is a priority. And we say God's the objective truth and God is what we follow first. And the outflow of that is how we treat others. And so let's go through these four is the first one, no other gods. And, and I kind of put my own commentary here. So uh, these are not as etched in stone as the ones that Moses came down, but it kind of gives us some explanation within our context of, of these general principles and how it applies to us. Is that no other gods is, it's really important what we believe about God, how we think about God. Do we believe there's lots of lots of deities out there that are competing for our attention? Do we believe that there's, and this is how many cultures have been framed, that there's lots of different frameworks, lots of different ideals that we could follow and would be still good and still would be fine. And the scripture tells us there is one God. There is one way. There is, there is an objective truth. And you need to believe in that God, no other gods. You need to believe in that and that will guide your decisions and your trust moving forward. If you're divided in that, you will really not be able to have any kind of, of objective code moving forward with anything else. It's, it's putting that faith in God. And that's how we kind of come to God in the beginning. God, I put my faith in you. God, I believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins. God, I believe in you. That there's not other gods that we, we put up there. I think most often in our culture, it's not like following like the Egyptians had their hundreds of gods, the god of the sun or those things. That's not our culture. But it is us battling, will we make ourselves our god or god our god? That was an odd sense. But you understand that context. The second thing, no graven image. 
interesting and can be taken a lot of ways and one of the hardest to kind of put into our context in our world but the picture that I would give to you today and we can talk about it you know how different churches have dealt with this down through the ages is how we worship God how we communicate and about God is pretty important so number two and three how we worship God how we speak about God is critical like we worship God within God's own pictures what God says we use the scripture as our guide we don't make it up as we go we don't put our own images our own spin our own stuff you know quite frankly as we begin going through the book of Exodus sometimes I want to read stuff through and I want to like I want to do my own edit on it we all do at some point in time right we want to do our own edit and say this is challenging I don't know what you mean by that I don't know why this is that I, I don't get it sometimes is is we don't like decide what God looks like we don't put our own spin on that we are seeking to worship God on God's terms we are speaking about God on God's terms and the, the that third one where we're not misusing God's name is is I think a value that has been a little bit lost as well in our casual culture throughout the Old Testament there's always there's always words about the fear of the Lord and and there was a lot of angst about speaking God's name particularly in this time and God comes to the nation of Israel says I am you know like it's like I am I exist and people were like terrified to misuse that name or speak incorrectly about God that in some ways has been a bit missed we live in a world where everyone just speaks whatever is going on in their mind my science teacher in the eighth grade used to say, you kids have a problem. You have diarrhea of the mouth. It just keeps running and running. I know that's pretty vulgar, but that's how he would get his attention of, of eighth graders when they were speaking out of turn. Is that a picture of our culture? We just blather and blather and talk about all the wisdom that we possess and every opinion, we're so right and so right and so right. When we approach and we speak about God, we should be cautious. And we should be humble. And we should be aware. This is God. Okay? Not just flippantly, hey dude, bro, God, what's going on today? We should have a little bit of respect, a little bit of reverence. A little bit of humility when we speak of things that are beyond us and that is what a uh, important lesson that we could we could reiterate in our culture and our world what we believe about God how we worship God how we speak about God and how we honor God and it says honor the Sabbath remember Remember, and I think the best way you can honor the Sabbath is building those spiritual practices in your life that weekly you pause, reflect, rest, worship, 
pray so that you're doing that. And that's how our church culture has emerged. We've, we've met every, every, every week to honor the Sabbath in that way. But there is restraints and disciplines in your life to make sure you're honoring, reflecting, remembering God. And your ambition in some ways is constrained. And your agenda in some ways is constrained. And you pause and you reflect and you remember your creator and your life isn't just all about you. How we love God is really important. And these four would probably not be on your top 10 list if you made your own moral code. But it's the foundation of morality is how we think about, speak about, believe, worship, honor God. Love God. And then love your neighbor. And the next six go into how we treat one another. And the scripture is really beautiful in its description of, of this in the New Testament. As Jesus really reiterates this over and over, is Jesus says, how you treat your neighbor is how you treat me. My creation is, is people. I love humanity. I love people. And how you treat others is how you're treating God. This is hand in hand. They don't, cannot be separated love of God and love of neighbor and God gives us these big principles that can fit into lots of different decisions we make in our morality in life how we father and mother honoring our father and mother our family unit how we treat those who are closest to us how we honor and respect how we build those disciplines early on in following our parents our family members, those people who are in authority over us, kind of builds up those moralities that help us follow God later on. How we treat our children as well. And the New Testament gives us more instruction on that. That goes hand in hand with father honoring father and mother is how parents raise their kids in the right way as well. But honoring those close family units is a critical foundation of morality. How you treat those people around you. And, you know, it gives me a little bit of pause. Sometimes it gets maybe a little bit too familiar or casual in your family. Sometimes you can be a little, little more abrupt or short. Or, you know, like just don't quite treat other, the people closest to you, with, to you with the same care as you do. Maybe even a stranger. That should not be so. We should treat other people, our family, as a precious, wonderful gift from God. And it is the number one priority we have as far as what we do morally is how we cultivate those key relationships in a way that, puts, that helps us all thrive and go towards God. It is the wonderful gift that God gave us. And the extension of that, which is not like different from this like command is our church family that is a picture in scripture is that the church is your extended family and i think you should honor that as well you should honor these relationships and say how can we together cultivate and move this forward and love and care for one another and that's the foundation of morality how could we as the scripture even says says if you don't take care of those close to you you, you don't have any moral compass. If you don't take care of those people that God has entrusted to you, then everything breaks down, right? 
In our world, like, we've decided that, you know, we'll just abdicate sometimes our responsibility to others, to, to government institutions. It's our responsibility to care for those who are close to us, take responsibility and ownership over that, and honor one another in that way. Our church family and our immediate family. And we honor that. Think about ways, even as we get older and older, to thank and honor your parents or people that were important in your life like that, if your parents aren't with you. To honor them, to respect that. That is a sign of humility and gratitude that like, it does more for you than you can imagine. To, to forgive some of those things that have been like harmful in the past and open ourselves up to saying, giving honor to those people and being grateful for those people in our lives. Um, so that is the first one, how we treat those people closest to us and that family unit. And that is an important like foundational principle of God's uh, plan for our lives is the family being strong and caring for for us and be in that place of nurture and growth. The sixth thing is don't murder. Jesus talked about it more on the Sermon on the Mount and he uh, like up the ante for us if you are not like into like murdering people, you know. Um, he says, well, it also extends to your hatefulness to others and it extends to how you treat others like how you think of others. There shouldn't be a violent approach that we take to other people. The response shouldn't be immediately to harm other people when they have harmed you. Jesus, in this context, says in the Sermon on the Mount, if someone strikes you, turn the other cheek. What a difficult moral teaching he's giving us in this regard. And he's talking about violence. He's talking about vengeance. He's talking about these things, and he says, vengeance is mine. Do not turn that, flip that switch and try to come after people and try to inflict pain on others because you've been inflicted with pain. That is a world and a cycle that our societies have gone down generations after generations. You've inflicted pain on me, and my recourse is inflicting pain on you, and everyone is bloody, beaten, and destroyed. And that is, it's, it's just a path to ultimate destruction. And so this teaching in scripture is do not like have control over how we respond to others. Of course, with the big one, don't murder. But, but we can extend that beyond and, and come to a point, if you want to think about loving your neighbor... Our inclination should be, and this is so hard, this is so stinking difficult. Our inclination should be love. Our feeling should be love towards others. Our feeling shouldn't be hate and vengeance. And this is a tough one. There are people in your life that your first feeling is, I don't want things to go well for them. You may have moments like that where you know, a little natural consequences in life right now, I, I wouldn't mind seeing that, right? I wouldn't mind seeing them, like, kind of learn a lesson, right? Well, we've seen in Scripture, if you don't follow God's laws, 
that will take place, okay? So just relax, all right? It is not our duty or our view to try to inflict that on others, and we should never be people like that. We should always look at others with hopes of redemption and hopes of love. Like, we should always look at someone who is enslaved in sin and destroying their own life and hope and pray for them to find some peace. When you look at others, even the most violent, even the most vile, even the most godless people in this universe, we should not like hope that this continues and they just go down into destruction. We should hope and pray that there's a moment in time where they see the error of their ways, cry out to God, and find something that changes. And if our heart isn't filled for love of others first, something is missing. Something's missing. Even our enemies. And that's what Jesus said. It's easy to love the greatest guy on earth. You can just imagine me right now. If you, if you, if you need someone, I'm just joking. But, but your best friend, love him. Your dog that greets you and you show up, I oh, love that dog. How about your enemy? And that's where the rubber meets the road, right? And that's what Jesus says. Love those who hate you. Love your enemy. Do something different than everybody else does. Respond differently than everyone else. And that's Jesus' response, and that's the overall moral code that is universal throughout eras um, that we can apply to our life. Seven, talks about adultery. It talks about restraints on sexuality and relationships. And this is something that our culture does not want to talk about and does not want to deal with. And it is complicated. And I won't go down this road too far because it is a big topic for another day and it is hard and complicated. But inevitably, we have to realize that there needs to be these constraints on our basic desires as well. There has to be constraints on it. And we all understand to some degree that there has to be constraints but we tend, to, we tend to make our lines based on kind of what we would prefer. And there has to be constraints on our, our, the sexual relationships and morality in this way. And God gives us those pictures. And God gives us the picture of, you know what, have no other gods before me. And make the marriage a holy, uh, exclusive union and, sep and combines kind of those two pictures. And throughout scripture, this is a picture that is over and over as it says, you know what, just like man will, you know, men and women will be united together as one flesh is kind of the picture that you have no other gods and it is an exclusive thing. Imagine the chaos that we have like kind of gone down in our world and our culture just to say free reign, whoever's harmed, whoever's hurt, whatever happens as a result of that doesn't matter. Free reign. That's painful, and it's destructive to people. You know, like, like how painful. And God, God has constraints on that, and his constraints on our desires. And we all have desires, right? We all have desires. A desire is not an excuse for us to say, like, that means it's okay. There's constraints on all of our desires. Yeah, I want, I want a like pizza and, and ice cream every meal every day. But there needs to be constraints on those desires that will destroy me. And so desires are not like, desires are part of humanity and part of what God has put in us. 
But we are sinful, and our desires are also sinful sometimes. And there has to be constraints on it. And there has to be parameters, and there has to be, has to be constraints on what we do in these relationships. So sexuality is an important, difficult, destructive thing in our culture, in our world, and it always has been. Think of trying to strive and move towards being someone who is pure. In doing that, thinking of this as a beautiful gift that God has given us for, you know, love and binding together that family union in, in a profound way. And all the things that tear it apart, that's where kind of the conversation begins, right? And it is so sad to think about all the, the snares that have come up in this area of our lives now. I, th I think about my own kids and, you know, they have devices that can like, they can have access to visually look at things that are not going to help them in their life, are not going to like bring them together and help them, you know, have good healthy family units and, and constraints on their desire. It, man, we, we are in a free-for-all world that has just told us like it doesn't matter how we think about, how we treat others. Remember, there's always... There's always a person on the other side of like images that we like would, um, that are out there everywhere. There's a person on the other side of every in sexual encounter that like takes place. And these things are destructive and terrible. They, this is, and if society just decides there's no constraints, there's a lot of losers in this game. A lot of pain and destruction in its wake. And that's a hard conversation, and it's a world that is really hard to avoid in our, in our world today. We've got to go down that hard path of trying to rein in the, these uh, sexual desires. And, like, pray to God for help. So God tells us that there are constraints on these desires. Number eight, don't steal. Be mindful of other people's property. And actually, you know, number 10 kind of kind of talks about this as well. But like we, sh we, we can't take things from others. And this uh, broadly applied would also like kind of, how do you deal with people? Do you deal with people fairly? In the scriptures, um, in the Old Testament and New Testament, it talks about like when you have an authority, a position of authority over others, or if you have an like these kinds of ways in life where maybe it's a job, maybe it's like uh, uh, other people, that you should treat other people fairly. Don't gouge people. Don't like like just take everything for yourself. Uh, later on, and it's part of the principles we'll talk about next week, there's provisions that God makes in scriptures for those who are poor. And it says, give, like, help make sure everyone is cared for and taken care of. And don't just say, all of it's mine with no restraint. But, you know, don't steal. Okay? Got it? Okay. Don't do that. All right. Number nine. False witness. And this is our integrity. This goes to our words. Not just about how we speak about God, but how we speak in general. And this goes, I think this, this can be applied broadly to lots and lots of things. 
How we speak of others is really important. Is it going to harm others when we speak ill about them? Are we a person of encouragement or a person of destruction with our tongue? Because you can be one or the other. You can be both. And make sure when you say something, you mean it. And when you say something, you follow through with it. And if you, you know what, don't follow through with it, you, you admit it. And you say you were wrong in that moment. Let your yes be yes and your no be no is a way that Jesus said it. That when you say an oath, when you make a commitment, when you say something, you do it. An integrity issue is a big thing. But all of us in our life are like, whether we like it or not, others around us are building up like this kind of like bank of trust. Are, is this a person that I can trust that when they say something, that they will do it, that they will follow through? And I think to my life on the times that I've like said, hey, I'm going to do that. Hey, I'm going to, you know, like follow through with this or that. And I don't. And that's an integrity issue, not to maybe to the extent of like outright blatantly lying, but an integrity issue is a big thing. And in our life, we want to build up a, to, to a place where other people can know that they can trust, that our word is reliable, and what we do is going to be uh, reliable. We, we can count on that. And it's an important integrity thing. And if, if our world decides we're going to deceive and manipulate and say things that are half-truths or whatever it may be, Everything crumbles. And I don't know about you, but like, I don't even know how to read a newspaper or watch news anymore. I have no idea. I don't know what to do because I have no idea what is true and what is not. Isn't that a difficult place to be in where you have no clue what is true and what is false? And that's kind of, we've decided as a world that integrity is whatever somebody will believe. That's not, that's not it. It's not it. Say what you mean and follow through and be a person of truth. Number 10 is thou shalt not covet. God is putting this in there as a restraint to our ambition, a restraint to us playing the, the comparison game and wishing that we had something that does not belong to us. And it says it in a number of categories because we need, we need explanation. Does that mean like, like what it says is like, don't covet, meaning don't like, don't like envy other people's things. Don't wish something that doesn't belong to you is yours. It's like, hey, does that mean with my neighbor's wife? Yes. <laughs> Be happy with your wife. Stop looking at your neighbor's wife. Okay. Also remember number seven too. Okay. Keep that in mind. But yes, it does apply to your neighbor's wife. Does, you know, um, that apply to like people who work for my neighbor? Yes, it does. But my, you know, I kind of want to poach their employees. Okay. Well do, do what you got to do, but don't covet them. Um, does it apply to his ox and donkey? Yes, it does. Does it apply to everything that my neighbor has? Yes, it does. What a world we live in where we're so discontent even though we have so much. And all of it really goes back to us not being happy with the beautiful gifts that God has given us. And wanting to live in this fantasy world of something else or somebody else's or I wish I was this person. You know what? Like, 
growing up as a kid, I wanted to be Michael Jordan. And I, I, I stopped growing at 5'7". Okay? And, and, and I touched the rim a couple of times in my life when I was about in the 10th grade. But Air Jordan never applied to me. Nobody ever called me Air Tyler. But what a world we live in where we kind of grow up with these kind of folk heroes, celebrities, and pictures of, like, perfection. We're so, we so are aware of the greatest people in every facet of this world that we, like, look at our lives and we think, what a dull, meaningless existence we have. And I think it leads to the, the despair and the depression and the discontent that is rampant in our culture and our world. Be the best you that God created you to be. And don't like spend your whole life wishing, comparing, looking back, like, like fretting all of these things. Don't spend your life like that. That's just awful. God gave you beautiful gift of your life and live it to the full. Okay? I just, I'm, I am sick and tired of like celebrities and athletes and these pictures being the only pictures that we put up in society as like people we should admire. No, we should admire good people that are sitting around us right here and strive to be that. But our world has, that's what our world has become. God gives us these constraints. God gives us these pictures and they're not like, just suggestions. They're not like things that like are for different times and place. They're universal truths that can be applied in any day and era. And you know what it is? It's a picture of freedom. It's not a picture of like taking away things that you can be free. And so embrace those things and say, God, I trust you and work on it. It's a lifelong pursuit, right? It's a lifelong pursuit to keep like figuring out how to love God and love my neighbor. And there's moments of failure, but we've already embraced two weeks ago. We embraced that God is a gracious God and God forgives and God accepts us. We embraced that already. But we have to embrace the discipline and we have to embrace the struggle of that and the times we fail and continue on. Pray with me. God, we're people that want to be set free. Give us these pictures. Help us to embrace it. Help us to love what you have given us. A picture of freedom. Even beyond what we would necessarily want or desire in any given moment. But God, what will set us free? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.